So we continue our series, our sermon series that we started, started Ordering Your Life. Uh, we've talked about this in a few different ways so far. We talked about parenting. We talked about marriage. Um, we've talked, Jake introduced last week, I believe, on ordering around Sabbath. And so we're kind of talking about transitioning for the next few weeks into ordering life around church and worship and what that's like. And specifically, uh, we'll focus in on, on an area um, of men and women and using their gifts in ministry in the church and what that looks like. A few years ago, our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, released a report, and part of the conclusion of that report was uh, this. Sadly, not all the women of the PCA have experienced affirmation of their gifts and encouragement to serve the church within the parameters of biblical teaching. Many who fully embrace the Bible's teaching about complementary gender roles have experienced a climate in the local church more focused on what women cannot do rather than one fostering a biblically informed culture of what women are, in fact, called to do. And so my aim over the next couple of weeks as we look at some, some difficult passages in Scripture about this is to do two big things. Um, to look at the ways men and women should be using their gifts in ministry and to encourage and affirm that. And um, especially around roles uh, in church and in worship. And secondly, to look at faithful interpretation because that's the foundation for understanding the first thing. And so today we're going to actually do a mix of those two as we look at a passage in 1 Corinthians 11. So follow along with me. This is God's word, 1 Corinthians 11, the first 16 verses. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should not then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man now born of woman is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? But if a woman wears long hair, it's her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no practice, no, no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Spirit of the living God, on this Pentecost Sunday, when you, come, when you historically came upon your people, Lord, we pray that you will come upon us to give us understanding of a difficult passage. Lord, would you enlighten our minds, would you touch our hearts, and would you use your word to inform our, and shape our lives? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Mind the gap. You ever heard that? You've seen it if you've been to London or other places like that. Mind the gap, and it means right, to watch out as you're on a platform trying to get ready to go aboard a train, that gap between the platform and the train. You don't want to fall in there. Mind the gap, 
right? Um, when we talk about minding the gap in interpreting and understanding the Bible, it's also important to understand that gap. God's word is true. It's relevant. It has power. It has authority for all people from all times everywhere. It's his word to people on earth, right? And so it is true and relevant for that. Minding the gap then in interpretation is knowing God's unchanging truth and knowing how to apply that to changing circumstances of culture. And that gap is often where people misstep. And so I think it's important that we try to understand that, understand how we can fall in the gap by either denying the truth and authority of God's word or fall into the gap by applying it incorrectly to our present cultural moment. The church in Corinth valued their individual freedom, which Paul talked about a lot with them, especially in chapter 10, which we have not looked at. Um, He talks about their individual freedom, which they valued. But here Paul, as he's talking about worship, is saying, instead of being so concerned about your individual freedom, you need to be more concerned about loving one another and honoring God. Paul received a report, we know from the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, um, from people in Corinth, and he's writing this letter responding to that report. And so 1 Corinthians as a book is not the easiest one to understand because Paul will just launch into something. And you're like, what is he doing? He's responding to a report that they know of, and he's writing in response to it. And so uh, we have to keep that in mind. And what Paul is doing is writing in response to this these questions that come up about these head coverings. And what he is doing is grounding cultural issues in God's design and God's instruction. And so chapters 11 through 14 really are about worship. Brian Fletcher preached a couple of weeks ago in chapter 12 about the body and using our gifts. And so what I want to propose to you today is this, that the truth is we must always honor God in our worship of him. And the question might be, how do we do that? And we're going to look at that in three ways today that come out of this text. The first is this. We order worship to honor God within the context of your culture. Secondly, you order worship to honor God that reflects the design of creation. And third, you order worship to honor God through the redemption in Christ. So those are the three things we're going to look at. Let's jump into it as it's a full service today with communion. So, um, Ordering worship to honor God within the context of your culture. This is verses 4 to 6. Paul just jumps into this and he starts talking about those who pray and prophesy and if their head's not covered or covered or shaven and you're like, what is going on? I don't understand any of this. If you uh, go to visit other churches or holy sites around the world, especially if you go to some of the cathedrals in Europe or if you were to go to like a Hindu temple somewhere around the world, you would be expected upon entering men, man or woman to have from your knees to your shoulders covered. That's the cultural custom. That shows honor and respect going into holy sites in that way. In Corinth, the particular issue that has come up that Paul's addressing has something to do with head coverings. And what is it and what does he mean? Um, Some people think that a head covering refers to a shawl to be pulled over the head when someone is praying or prophesying, and that's what he's talking about. Uh, I'm inclined to think that it's not about that, though it could be. Um, I'm inclined to think it actually refers to hair because verses 14 and 15 that we read are definitely about hair, being long or shaved or not, right? Um, 
And it was common in Greco-Roman culture, understanding the moment, their cultural moment, right, in the history of the day, it's common in that culture for women to have long hair, but when they went to temple worship, they would pull their hair up and wear it kind of on top of their head, braided in some fashion or another. And it was common for men to keep their hair pretty short. And so that's what, the, that's what was the traditions. That's what was common. And there's dishonor somehow. And Paul's writing about this dishonor or this disgrace that's happening. And so what is that? Well, for men, scholars are somewhat divided as what does it mean for their, their head to be uncovered. Um, they think it probably referred to long hair, men having long hair. And what that referred to could be a couple of different things. One of the things that it could be referring to is association with homosexuality. Or it could be referring to the sophists, the wise teachers that traveled and orators that taught and, and, and taught their ways and things like that. And either way, what he's saying is to honor God, whether it's related to sexual ethics or related to where you get your friz- wisdom from, the point for men is you must honor God. Right? I mean, it's still relevant for our culture, a culture in which homosexuality is widely encouraged and practiced in churches, and a culture in which, if that's not what it's talking about, it's talking about their own wisdom. This is also true, where pastors develop a following based on their wisdom of the day and all the relevant things that they can talk about, building their kingdom instead of teaching God's truth and building God's church. Right? And so that's what Paul would be saying. For women, what he would be saying is if they're letting their hair down, meaning it's not on top of their head, they've let their hair down and let it be long, right? What it is associated with in the culture of that day is pagan temple prostitution, where they would actually go and have prostitution rites for fertility and blessing and things like that, or maybe adultery and possibly adultery because he refers in the passage to a woman's head being shaved, which would be a way to shame a woman who had been adulterous. Now, all that is saying that what's going on with this whole idea of the head covering or uncovering would be, uh, and for women here, and wives especially, not appear to be scandalous or unfaithful to your husband. Right? That, that's what he's saying. That's what's happening in the culture. And like, wow, that's weird. That, that's, you know, hair is not a thing in our culture that way. Um, and so it's kind of hard for us to understand that. But what Paul is doing is moving from the specific cultural context and customs to the underlying reason why he's talking about them. That's important for us to understand because it's a principle of biblical interpretation and application right? He's looked at the context of the culture in verses 4 to 6, but notice what he does is that he orders worship in such a way that says it must honor God because of the way it's designed from creation. That's what he moves to in his argument, and he does this in the middle part of that. But notice a few things that let me point out quickly here. Um, In verse 3, he uses the word head. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. What is this? What are we to make of the word head? Does that just mean the melon, you know, your skull? What, what are we talking about there? It's probably, head can mean that, can mean skull, but it can also mean um, authority or source, and so it probably refers to authority, like corporate department heads, 
Think of it that way, right? Those who are in charge of have authority over things. And so head means that, those who have authority over. But then there's this other weird phrase in verses 7 and 8 where it says, image and glory of God. It says, for a man who ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman was made from man. That's referring back to Genesis, right? God makes Adam, and then out of Adam takes a rib and makes woman. That's, that's what Paul's doing. He's pointing back to creation design and saying this is the way it was. Um, and so glory, though, has this connotation of honor as opposed to disgrace or dishonor. And what he is saying here is that Paul is appealing to creation order to say that we ought to do what is honoring to the other. That's the principle. And then that should govern the rules in whatever specific cultural setting we find us, find ourselves. Now, all that is probably like, wait, what? What? Whoa. Well, you just said a lot of stuff, and I'm not even sure if I followed all of that. And I get that. We're going to you know, this is not a single sermon here. We'll go for the next couple of weeks. We'll keep talking about it. But I want to try to help us understand and apply this maybe in more concrete ways. And so let me help you think about minding the gap in terms of interpreting and applying Scripture. A common objection to Christianity, to Christians, is you guys don't even know what you want to keep and what you don't like. You just read it and you take, yeah, we'll do this one. That one we won't do. So what, how does that work? Why do you take some parts of the Bible and reject other parts? And it's a good question. It's a fair question. Um, But good interpretation always takes into consideration the original text given to the original people to whom it was written, this one, to the people of Corinth in the first century, okay? And understanding the historical uh, moments of the day and then talks about how to apply the principle of that, which is true, to the context today, 2,000 years later. So how do we do that? Rule and principle. It's important to understand principles and rules. Will you put up that first slide for me about principles and rules there? Difference between a principle and rule. Let's, let's talk about this for a second here. Um, love your neighbor as yourself. What do you think that is? Principle or rule? If you click, I think it'll fill it in. There, principle. If you click on it, it should fill it in. It's principle. Care for the poor and feed the hungry. Is that a rule or a principle? I'm going to say it's a rule. Okay, so, right, we can show that. So, in other words, the principle, the thing that is true that Jesus teaches us is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus also commands you should care for the poor and feed the hungry. But that is a rule, a specific application of a principle of love your neighbor as yourself. It's still relevant today. We should still care for the poor and feed the hungry. They're still poor. They're still hungry. We're still supposed to love our neighbor, and we're still supposed to do that rule. Right? Let's go to the second slide here. Again, the difference between principle and rule, and look at a a second example of it. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Is that a rule or a principle? Let's reveal. It's a rule. What's the principle? Love one another. The principle is love one another, right? So the principle of love one another can get applied in settings when you greet one another to express love by greeting with a holy kiss. If you go to Italy, you're probably still going to get greeted that way. Kiss on the cheek. But in America, our cultural rule to greet one another in such a way is with hugs and handshakes. 
You see how that's different in context? Did it defy the principle of loving one another? No, we need to express that, but that happens differently in different cultural contexts. Does that make some sense, hopefully, to you about principles and rules? And what Paul is doing then in Corinth is saying, the covering of heads, let me ask you, the covering of heads when prophesying and praying, is that a rule or a principle? It's a rule. It's a rule. The principle is to honor authority as God intended it from creation's design. And that's the argument Paul's making. In Corinth, that had a lot to do with head coverings and how you were going to appear. So if we were to think of that principle today, how are we going to honor authority in worship when men and women are prophesying and praying? What would that look like? Well, the rule for men would be, okay, we're going to honor God's authority by acting like men, not, not deriving wisdom simply from the world, but leading in God's truth. For women, it's to honor God's authority by using gifts of praying and prophesying in worship, which was different than what happened in synagogues often, and do it in a way that honors the authority of husbands and elders in the church. That's what Paul is saying. That's the principles he's upholding. It, the culturally recognized way, I think, for women to honor their husbands today doesn't have a lot to do with their hair. Probably has to do with a wedding ring. That's still pretty... I mean, sometimes people don't do wedding rings, but most often people do wedding rings. Like, if you took your wedding ring off and showed up next to your husband and threw that down, that would be like, what? What are you saying? Right? That would be a statement of something that's like, yeah, I don't, I'm not doing this. Or just modest dress... Right? That would be a thing, not to appear sexually immoral, as Paul's talking about in the, the sexual idolatry of the culture in Corinth. Right? That's true in our culture, too. So we have to take those things in mind as rules under the principle that we are to honor the authority that God has intended in creation. I'm going to move on to the third point here. We're going to talk more about this, actually. So in, we're in 1 Corinthians 11. And next week, I think, we'll talk more about in 1 Corinthians 14 and kind of understand the same principle rule dynamic and look at another, uh, another aspect of that. But the, let me wrap up today um, with this final point, and that is we need to order worship to honor God through the redemption in Christ, right? So those three points, right? We have to understand the context of our culture. That's an important thing. We have to understand God's design of creation and what those principles are. But all of that has to also be filtered through the redemption he provides in Christ and how that changes the world. Now, there's two things I want to highlight to you about this. One of them is in verse 11 and 12, and you can look there with me. I did not put these slides on the screen, but verse 11 and 12 says this. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. Okay, I'm going to stop there. That's verse 11. Notice what he says, in the Lord, meaning as Christians. And he says, nevertheless, that's a strong corrective to men. Because he just said, right, how God made man and then made woman out of man. That was in the earlier verses. But now he comes down to the end and, and then talks about it in this way and says, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man and man not independent of woman. And then in verse 12, for as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. What is Paul doing? He's saying, so if you think you want to take this original design and say, ha, I'm better 
I get to be superior as a man over you? Saying, no, you don't. Because there's equality. Men and women are made equal in the eyes of God. Humans. Right? With equal dignity. Equal glory. And Paul's saying, so you can't upend that and then say, um, men, you get to be dictatorial, abusive, power hungry. No, Paul's saying you can't do that. So there's equality in that way. But he also goes to the example of Christ. And this is in verse, back in verse 3, which he led off with. I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And the head of Christ is God. Now, some of you are like, maybe not you guys, some people on, on social media platforms and memes and all kinds of things like that are like, don't give me your theology, just give me Jesus. I'm just going to follow Jesus. I think that's a fantastic idea. Except for that the theology is the study of God and Jesus is the revelation of God. So to follow Jesus is to do theology. But let's follow Jesus. What is the example that Jesus says? Or that Paul is saying here. He's making an example of Christ and he is saying in verse 3, the head of Christ is God. In other words, in the same way, whatever this way that, that the head of a wife is her husband is the same way that God is the head of Christ. You see, theology matters. What he is saying here is that equality does not blur all distinctions. The Father and the Son are the same in substance, both God, equal in power and glory, yet different in a way that the Son is functionally subordinate to the Father. How do we know this? We know this because it says it right here in verse 3, but let me just give you this example. Jesus went to the cross, not the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed to his Father saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Submitting himself to the will of the Father. Jesus said in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. And in John 14, 28, the Father is greater than I. Right? So even though there's equality, it's not sameness. There's still some difference in that. And that's, that is something that we shouldn't blur because it holds some beauty that we would miss. The beauty of the cross, the beauty of redemption, where the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is willing to submit himself to others and to go and to die in their place. And so what Paul is saying is that this, that men and women reflect the image of God together, same in human nature, yet distinct persons. We're interdependent and complementary, reflecting the image of God, and that should be reflected in the worship of God. Again, like I said, it's one sermon. We'll talk more about it. We'll even have a discussion next week afterwards where we can talk more about it. You can ask questions and so forth. We enjoyed our vacation that we were on this week, so thank you for giving uh, us vacation as staff. Um, we went to the beach. It was relaxing and restful. We were on the beach, and, and one somebody from the family saw a news article that reported, um, I think it was a couple of weeks back now, sadly, um, to, uh, I think, a, a, a boy and a girl, brother and sister, I don't know how old, 
died after digging a hole on a beach and the sand collapsed on them. It's just sad that that happens. And that's not the only time it's happened. It happens every few years. People dig ginormous holes in the sand and then they go down in them and then it collapses and they're buried. Several years ago, there were two boys playing on sand mounds dredged out of a riverbed. It has the same kind of effect. They climbed under those sand mounds and there was a cavernous hole below one where water had drained out of it and they sunk and fell into the hole. Their mother noticed they didn't come home at dinner time because this was the days before cell phones. You just were allowed to go play and roam wild. Just return for dinner, which young boys would always do because they were always hungry. They didn't return, and so the mother called for help and sent out people to look for them, and they found them on the dunes. They found the youngest boy with his shoulders and head sticking out of the sand. Rescue workers got there to the boy who was unconscious at the time because the weight of the sand had collapsed his chest and maybe shock and, and woke him and he came to consciousness and they were frantically digging the sand out around and relieving the pressure off him, lifting him up and they said, where's your brother? And he said, I'm standing on his shoulders. You see, that older brother gave his life for his younger brother, letting him stand on his shoulders that he might reach safety. He subordinated himself to him. So what Jesus did for me and you Christians came down from heaven, subordinating himself to the Father's will and saying, I will die and put you on my shoulders to lift you to salvation. Our skills, our abilities, our brains, our gifts, they are not abandoned in the church, nor are they used for self-promotion, but they are used for the good of one another so that our worship will honor God's design and his redemption in Christ. That's the foundation for what we see in the coming weeks. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will take these words of mine and that people will forget whatever may not have been true, but that whatever is true and grounded in your word will sink deeply within us, that it will shape us and mold us, that it will form our actions that it will shape our faith and we pray this in the name of Jesus amen